Do you know someone who likes funky socks? Well, do I have an awesome gift idea for you. Society Socks is a men's sock subscription that sells funky socks with a social cause. They sell gift subscriptions that allow you to prepay for two pairs of exclusively designed socks to be delivered to your or your recipient store for three, six, or 12 months. These socks are made of a warm, soft, and comfortable blend of combed cotton guaranteed to make feet feel and look great. But why are they called society socks? Well, socks are one of the most needed and least donated clothing items at homeless shelters, but society socks aims to change that. With every pair of socks purchased, another pair of socks is donated to a homeless shelter. With two surprise pairs of socks arriving to your or your friend's door every month, you can feel confident that you've contributed to the beginning of an awesome sock collection. Visit www.mysocietysocks/getoffset and use the code GETOFFSET to get $10 or 50% off your first gift subscription. So give the gift of funky socks today. Welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. My name is Emily. And my name is Andrew. And I'm not popping. Pop, pop. Pop, pop. I have my pop filter. I, have, I better not be popping. If I end up popping in post, I'm going to be pissed. Did you, uh, have you seen Community? Of course I've seen Community. That's where I got pop, pop from. Magnitude. Magnitude. Oh, that episode where... Where the new student wants to steal the pop pop. He's oh, like, that, no, that's my thing now. That made me so sad. Oh, that's, I think that's ahead of where I'm at right now in the seasons. Mm. I think I'm on season three right now. Oh, the, um, the gas leak season. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is, uh, that is what that's called. <laughs> the gas leak season. Uh, yeah, yeah no, I'm on season three. Uh, oh. I think I'm about to get to the point where I stopped watching the last time. I watched. No. I was watching it back in like 2014, I think. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching. I think it was probably through the end of season three. I was like, "Cool, let's watch the next season." And like, oh no, I think I I think it was like it was on Hulu, and then Netflix bought the rights or something like that. But it like changed ownership, and there wasn't yeah. a, a new season yet, and so. When I found out yeah. it was just all uploaded to Netflix, and I'm like, all right, I, I can roll with that then. Cool. I, I think cool, I cool. watched live until, and I, I had forgotten so many of the episodes, so I must not have watched it as religiously, but it was when it was coming out, because I think it was part of the, the Thursday nights with 30 Rock and Parks and Rec and Community, which was, you know, a lot of fun stuff. Um, I mean, and talk then, about a power trail. Yeah, seriously. Um, but... Then, um, I don't, I just don't really know what happened. I think there was other stuff, like, I just kind of stopped watching as much TV, but it was around the time Donald Glover left the show. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I liked him a lot. He he used to write for 30 Rock. He's one of the most talented people on the planet, hands down. Yeah, he's up there. And I, I respect him for not showing up to the Grammys when he, last year when he won all the Grammys. <laughs> Why? Oh, just a lot of people don't 
care about award shows and i think that's admirable to not care about award shows because i think secretly secretly a lot of people want to win win the awards that they're nominated for even if they don't want to admit it it's just i think most people are intrinsically a little at least a little bit competitive well sure i don't think that's a bad thing i don't think it's a bad thing either i just i just i find it admirable when people give so few uh meows i don't have a meow on my soundboard right now Yep. Yeah, True yeah, that. for sure. I mean, I, I I sort of get that at the same time. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know why I'm bothering to defend award shows. I don't even like them that much. But And I watch the Grammys every single year. I actually really like watching award shows. I think they're funny. Oh, I think they're boring. But Yeah. I You know, they are boring, but I just really like watching them. It, I think it keeps me kind of in tune with, you know how the rest of the industry sees things. And I like the, I like the Grammys because uh, I like the Grammy foundation. um, And uh, they're the reason music cares exists. And I know, I know personally people who have, uh, who've survived some health things because of music cares. So um, that's, that's, that's a big part of the Grammys. And that's a big thing that I like about them and why I think the whole Grammy idea is, is, you know, tolerable at least. And also uh, full disclosure, I've, I've never been a voting Grammy member, but I, I, it is a goal of mine because I've been a, like a, a Grammy member for working in the, in the industry, but I've never been an actual like eligible to vote in the Grammys Grammy member. And I really, that's, that's, that is a, that is a, my dumbest goal. My dumbest goal is that I want to be even at the very bottom of a voting Grammy member. <laughs> You know, as dumb as that is, I support you. Thank you. Good luck. It's pretty dumb. Yeah, it's pretty dumb. It's pretty dumb. So, um, Andrew, what's new with you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, what's new with me? I've got a couple of things on the table. Uh, first off, slightly less consequential, but also super exciting is, uh, let me pull the picture here. My dad found a guitar magazine from the 90s that uh, he's he just sent me a photo of and said, Hey, this is in the mail headed your way. Um, it's guitar world presents Nirvana and the Seattle sound. Uh huh. So I'll be getting that in the mail sometime this week. And there's note, note how it doesn't say grunge. It's a Seattle sound, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is also dumb. Cause those bands don't really sound that much alike. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. So I'll be like, getting that. Sh- shut up, Emily. There's some, interviews and some tab sheets and some other cool stuff that's a relic of the uh about the time i was born so wow. yeah i'm pretty know, ex- i'm excited yeah yeah you know i played um a little riff of uh, smells like teen spirit and uh my talon bread gigas demo mm, i was fun. like where did that like wow that came way out of the the cobwebs to find that that uh, well it did it though. Uh, isn't that something like everybody knows how to play? Yeah, probably. Man, are y'all making coffee? It sounds like it. Yeah, I think that is what's happening in the background. <laughs> so I'm actually gonna have to edit this episode a little bit more than usual. It happens. Um, yeah. So, uh, so other that was than item number one, item number yes. two is sort of planned and sort of was not planned. Um, so I've been planning on migrating the Fox Cairo website 
Um, mm-hmm. And just as like a little window into how in the world I'm trying to to keep this little business running. And so I've been running the the website off of Squarespace. And the reason why I did that is Squarespace was really dead simple for me to use. Uh, and that made up for the ridiculous price tag that was attached to it. So that helped me get the first roundup, helped me get through the idea of like how to, how the website works and, you know, just absolute website builder for, for dummies. But as I started to dig into it a little bit more and I want my website to be able to do more, they're like, okay, cool. We need like another $10 a month. I'm like, no, it was already pushing the level of what was acceptable. Uh, for for a monthly payment and um yeah so i was like something's got to change let me look at other options and you suggested moving over to wordpress.org not wordpress yes not dot com not Not dot dot com com. big mistake big mistake huge yes the dot org tremendous um tremendous and uh yeah so I was planning on migrating the website and I was doing it a little chunk at a time. And um, I was planning on taking some time throughout this week to um, rebuild the website. Of course, I didn't, wasn't able to do that completely by myself. See previous statement about being a noob. So I actually um, convinced you to help me and I 1000% appreciate it. Well, it was a nice way to repay you for literally saving my whole damn computer the weekend before. Which is tech something that Andrew did, yeah. Tech support in exchange for uh, website support. I think it's uh, sounds fair. It sounds fair. I like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it was oh, a planned. Second. Does Carrie want a cookie? Does Carrie want a cookie? Okay. Did you get that? I did get that. That was cute. <laughs> Just the proof that she knows that trick. There we go. Sorry. Um, now she'll, she'll, she was really bothering me. So now she'll mellow. Yeah, no worries. So anyways, all of that to say, this was planned. And the plan was to do this as seamlessly as possible with like five minutes of downtime. Drop one site into the other. Boom. Bada bing, bada boom. Done. And Wednesday night, I was in the middle of playing Age of Empires, as I do every Wednesday night with a buddy of mine. And I got an email saying cool, your domain, yada, 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 yada. I'm like, wait a minute. And I went to go look at the website and it was totally showing website coming soon. I'm like, no, downtime. And I don't have time to, the website wasn't finished, wasn't built yet all the way. It wasn't ready for publishing. It, I No, it was just on like the default 2019 theme that WordPress comes with. Yeah, And it, it was like on a staging server. And we hadn't yet added the images, adjusted the fonts, or even picked a theme or a template. I know some of those words. <laughs> so anyways, Thursday ended up being this epic wild tale of trying to get the website back up. And but Friday, um, Thursday night at midnight, I'm like, all right, we're almost there. I'm just cleaning up some fonts and some colors. And it disappeared. The entire website disappeared. It was like a little bit after midnight and I'm just staring at the computer going, no, no, oh no, 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 it's, it's no. Um, so it would have sucked, but it, it would have literally taken me an hour to rebuild everything. So I was, yeah. I was, I was like a, a different level of mellow and I'm like, you just got to talk to the Bluehost support team. Cause I am like, this is, this is past my pay grade. 
<laughs> yeah, so I thought I had a panic attack. I called Bluehost, got it all sorted out um, for in the morning, and it launched Friday morning. And I was a, uh, I was pretty happy. That yeah. was a little bit frightening for a couple of days there, but it's all sorted out now. The website is up. It's looking only slightly different than it did before with uh, some definite improvements, and there's a lot more flexibility with what I'm going to be able to do in the future. Yeah, I mean, but you would never guess that the Fox Cairo website and getoffsetpodcast.com are hosted. It's literally the same theme. It... Yeah, <laughs> and, so mean... is the, and so is the Tuna Tone website. I've, I've made that one, too. I like that Sydney theme because it's just so customizable and it's, yeah. it has that, it has the free level, which is key. And then it used the Elementor page builder, which I like a lot. Again, some of those words I know. So <laughs> anyways, all that to say, uh, thank you so much for you helping me out with that. And I uh, thank you so much for anybody who tried to, uh, to access the website on Thursday and decided to uh, not send me angry hateful messages like they like some people have sent to other companies we talked about last week yeah and people people you know tend to get grumpy when websites go down but yeah, yeah i'm a i'm small potatoes not a big deal yeah, thursday's usually I mean, not a popular day for the website so down down times happen i actually i uh i've been annoyed with i've like it's like you had a good experience with bluehost this week and i kind of got annoyed with them um on about something but now i have a downtime monitor on the getoffsetpodcast.com website um and because i was just like i feel like the website's it was having server issues on friday and i'm like well today i have time so i uh was talking to them on on support for quite a while and was getting kind of annoyed and i'm sure that they were like we can't help we can't i don't know what to tell you but um yeah i have Let's not get into that too much. Um, well, what's new with yeah. you? Changing well, gears. <laughs> I had kind of a fun uh, turns of tabled sort of moment. Uh, it's the table that had the tables have turned. That's I was doing a you thing. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. Okay. Michael yeah. So Scott. the 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 tables turned a, a little bit. Um, so. I think I've mentioned before that the first guitar I ever really played and my first lessons were from my mom who had an acoustic Epiphone um, when I was growing up. And that was really the guitar I, I, I first super duper learned how to play on. Um, well, my mom in, in quarantine, she's been, you know, talking about uh, like we don't do a lot right now. There's not a lot like normally they would go golfing and walk and go on the the beach and my mom's always been very active in her community and now like they just really can't do a lot of that stuff um so i'm like well, why don't I, like i put fresh guitars on the strings on that guitar last time i was in town like you should you should pick guitar back up and i was very i was kind of surprised when she was like i've been playing an hour every day and she got the ultimate guitar app and she's like tabs are cool i've been learning how to read tabs and chord charts and just like having fun and playing along with music on my phone really quietly. And she really wanted to upgrade to an electric guitar. My mother has never had an electric guitar. So we talked a lot, went back and forth. I was kind of showing her pictures of things. So we get her, we're getting her the, she's, she's ordered the Surf Green Fender Player Series Duosonic because it was a good price point. And she's getting a little Fender Mustang amp, uh, one of the little modeling Aww. amps. 
And uh, I added some other stuff to the cart. And uh, I don't think she'll listen to this podcast before she gets it in the mail. But uh, she was like, just throw. She was like, I'll pay you back. Just tell me what I owe you. And um, just add anything else that you think I need. So I added a little a little guitar stand, a little gig bag, uh, cables, straps, uh, some extra strings. And I, Bender has this sticker, this bumper sticker that says, my kid rocks. So I added that. Wow. To the order. Forcing your mom to be a proud mom. She, yeah. So um, she should be getting most of that in Tuesday. Um, so that's good. And uh, so that was exciting. Another exciting thing is, uh, remember Lance from Dogman Devices? Yeah. I remember yeah. Lance. I like of that course. kid. Yeah, I like that guy. Well, uh, he sent me t- uh, just to borrow his uh, new overdrive pedal, the Earth Overdrive, and it's I I was just like listening through the audio. It's it's cool, dude. Like it. I, I'm if you if you're listening to this, uh, I'm releasing that demo. I released it yesterday. If you're listening to this on Tuesday, uh, so it's already out. But it goes from nice like a, a really subtle overdrive to like fuzz territory almost it's very wild and i really dig it and it seems very lance um and it's just a volume and a gain knob there's no tone knob so you just kind of you have what you have and i really i i do like that in pedals um like dialed back controls uh just because i think it's so easy to get such option paralysis and constantly try to be tweaking things but like if, if you if you're limited by I feel like limitations can really force creativity in ways that um, having too many options can sometimes stifle it just by the option paralysis. Uh, So I really like that as a concept. I think it's a really cool pedal. And I know he's still doing the hand, the hand drilled hand uh, uh, engraved. I think he's just hand engraving him. He says it's taken him for, for forever to do these. So I don't, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a Dremel. Okay. It might be. It's it's definitely by hand. However, he's doing it, and it's take, it takes a long time. But um, I think he's still trying to he get some um, like screen printed enclosures. Maybe I don't know. I've been talking to him a little bit. I don't want to talk about his plans too much. But he's got a lot of cool stuff in the works. So it's always nice to. It was really. I was, I was glad to finally be able to get my hands on the the Earth Overdrive. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I'm I'm looking. I I mean. We're recording this before that uh, demo comes out, but I'm going to have to watch that tomorrow. You're going to have to actually watch it. I know. (laughs) Wow. You have my intrigue. Intrigue. I just got 2,500 subs on YouTube. Just past that. What? What? Pop, pop. Pop, pop. Very exciting things. You know what? I I shouldn't say pop, pop. That's magnitudes. I'm going to say what, what? Say what? Yeah. So that's totally original. Yeah, so that's the, those are the big things with me. Uh, obviously, band stuff going around. Have the band come in uh, to have a little band meeting uh, this afternoon just to get... There's a lot of stuff happening at once, and that's a good thing for the band. So, sweet. Holla. Well, shall we do sponsors? Oh, first I want to... I forgot. I... um. When I put in my mom's Fender order, I actually put in an order for myself for that um, that RD that RD style body that um, 
that I got from Partscaster Concierge. So Ooh. I got some, I got the Shawbucker one and the Shawbucker two for that guitar. And I got a Strat neck. Um, and uh, so I now have the body, the neck, um, most of the hardware, mostly electronics. Uh, I think I'm probably just going to need to reach out to Sean at Gun Street Wiring um, to get like a wiring kit for for this um, for this guitar. And then the the thing that I really need to do, and I've just been having a hell of a time finding it. I'm trying to find like a rose colored wood stain. Um, I know Minwax has them, but it's hard to find like that color in stores. So I think I'm just going to need to go down to like the True Value or Greenwood Hardware and uh, see if they can, you know, make a custom color for me. Because I, what I want to do is I want to do like a pink finish, a pink stain on it, and then like a dog hair or a ceruse uh, finish on it, like your, like your, um, like your Jennings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I still have all of the the tools, like I still have the copper bristle brush or the br- whichever brass maybe bristle brush. I think I still have the uh, the right grits of sanding paper. I would just need to do a refresher for myself on on how exactly I accomplished that. Um, but I'm excited for that and uh, to finally get rolling some more on this guitar. So I really want the next video of it I make to be of the. Uh, staining and finishing process uh which so i think that'll 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 hopefully be sooner rather than later it really is just a matter of um getting the uh the stain color right oh for sure i i'm trying to think i've always seen like custom like paint i'm not sure i've ever seen like custom stain colors at like a hardware they can, shop they can do it they can they, okay. yeah they they have that i i've confirmed it basically they start for the pink they need to start from like the white base and then they add the colors from there and gotcha, last time gotcha. i went they didn't they didn't have the white base so i need to either um get it somewhere else and bring it to them or wait to see if they get more of that in stock what are they a politician not having the white base come on <laughs> They're my neighborhood's friendly women-owned hardware store. Oh, yes, they exist. That sounds friendly. Actually, it is friendly. It's actually gotten a lot better since um the the woman who had worked there for so long became the owner. To be honest, I feel like she uh she made some changes. That I feel like we're very positive. That's that's the hardware store where I saw Ken Ken Jennings at one time. Oh, what? Yeah, I'm going to start a rumor. Ken Jennings supports women. So those are the best rumors, aren't they? The good ones. I think that's a good rumor. Mm-hmm. I like positive uh, We should do more positive rumors. What is a good rumor? I don't know. What is a good rumor? I'm sorry, it's was that a for a joke. joke? It's a Jeopardy joke. Okay. Oh, see, I knew there was a joke in there somewhere. Yeah. I just couldn't peg it. What is cool. a joke? What is a joke? Uh, things um, that go over my head, four thousand, Alex. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty. That's that sounds about right. Um, yeah, but sponsors. You want to dive in on the sponsor? Do I? Okay, I'll do it. That's fine. I'm happy <laughs> to do that. I'm happy. I'm happy to talk about DistroKid. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't ha- that wasn't meant to sound like a uh, like I don't want to talk about DistroKid. <laughs> 
Oh, that's gosh. We're off to a bang and start. Uh, this know. week's episode of the Get All Set podcast is sponsored by DistroKid. Uh, as you might guess from the name, DistroKid is a place you can go to. You pay 20 bucks a year and you get to distribute your music to places like iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, Tidal, you can, YouTube. You can even like I found I realized that when I put my music on DistroKid, it put it in like those Instagram stories where you can add music. I could pick my own damn music and I got to add it. Wait, to what? Kid. Yeah, isn't that funny? Oh, <laughs> shoot you're making that's me want to just start making music so i can start plugging my own stuff on instagram that's not that's funny right that's actually that, that's really cool every time we talk about this it gets cooler and cooler doesn't it yeah it really does so i did a whole video on uh youtube about how to add your music to distro kids so i took uh this this sort of collection of demos i'd recorded uh, I just had it on Bandcamp for a long time, and then I uh, so I go through and I show you how to add it on uh, DistroKid. Um, and so it was just it was it's super it's really very easy. It's only twenty bucks a year. I'd been paying like forty bucks a year for TuneCore, and uh, yeah, that was just too much money. It's way too much money, I think. Um, so I'm canceling my TuneCore. I'm going to move everything over to DistroKid because it's only. It's only 20 bucks a year and you can pay an extra fee, a one-time fee. I confirm this so that your music is on there um, for perpetuity and you don't have to pay the, the year after year. But I mean, if you're releasing music every every couple of years, which I feel like having a DistroKid account that you're paying for might uh, encourage you to create more. I, I'm, I'm a big believer that like getting a gym membership or paying for a gym membership will make me go to the gym because I'm paying for it. Meanwhile, I'm not going to, I'm probably not going to lift weights in my own home. <laughs> sure. Sure. So uh, I feel like it's kind of in that vein. Yeah. Well, okay. So I just looked up your profile on Spotify. Do I have a blue check mark? There, there is a blue check mark. Yes. Verified artist. Ow! Artiste. Uh, yeah. Another, another uh, perk of having to start kid. Which, I last week I, I said that was the coolest part of having a DistroKid account. Um, oh, there's way more cool parts, dude. But yeah, but I, I like having like really bold like this is the coolest thing ever kind of statements. And I gotta say, <laughs> being able to put my own music on my Instagram stories, I think that might that might one up the check mark. I don't know. I'm gonna that's, have to. That's so really vain and funny. That. It's so vain and funny. <laughs> but. I don't know. It doesn't have to be vain. It's just like, hey, I did something cool. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I'm just, I'm Midwestern. So it's it's a little, it can be hard to do. I really, yeah, sometimes that's a struggle. My publicist will be so mad to hear that. Probably. The publicist, like, I, one thing I love about being in Sunday Crush is that, like, I don't have, <laughs> I don't have to be the center of anything it's fantastic well congratulations on the uh the blue check mark it's uh thank you long overdue uh, maybe and uh i still get i think the other month i got like a hundred i think i have like 200 listeners a month on uh, spotify which always surprises me i've got right here it says 202 listeners a month with your most listened song coming as across the line at 11,117 oh, on Spotify. 
I I love that song, but I wish I had told the producer very specifically what I wanted the intro of that song to be, and he just didn't do it, and it kind of... Aww. Yeah, I had it in my mind, and I feel like I explained it well, and he just didn't do it, and that was kind of a drag. But it happens. It I happens. wanted it to be chaos, but maybe I'll re-record it someday. Maybe you will. Redo the bridge. I was never really happy with that bridge. Or you could write new music. I can write new music, but sometimes you want to take the things that you didn't get right the first time and make them right. Or you could uh, do that, I suppose. I mean, I, I did tell you I have, um, on September 18th, uh, I'm going to be on that compilation that is being released. I'll put links to it when it gets released. Yeah, yeah, you did mention that. Yeah, so that that that's a new song with new words, and I'm supposed to be doing... Um, a i'm supposed to add lyrics and words to a song um that uh justin wood from he's the guy who makes that bloom and fade pedal remember that one i'm trying to think here bloom and fade it's just bloom. it's just uh um, so it's a single foot switch it's like volume swells so you you hold the button down and it cuts oh, the volume yeah 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 yeah, yeah. You it's got really me cool yeah yeah no so he's the guy who does that and he has a couple other pedals um, and then I had told him like a year ago, like, oh yeah, that sounds fun. I'll do it. And then like, I think I accidentally snoozed that email for a year when I meant to snooze it for like two weeks and I forgot about it. <laughs> and I emailed him uh, the other week. I'm like, do you still, I assume you don't want this anymore. And he's like, I'm game if you are. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I guess I got to do this. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, DistroKid is the sponsor uh of this episode and uh i really like their i like their product i really I, do i can see why i can see yeah. why yeah it's nice to have sponsors oh yes also this uh you you probably heard this episode had a pre-roll ad for society socks um just a reminder to myself to add that to this episode in the beginning they paid us money for an intro roll Oops. Nice, nice. Yeah, and they sent me a pair of socks. I have to do an unboxing video of the socks. Socks are always cool. Per the tenants of our agreement. Yeah. Cool. So um I think that's it for sponsors this week. Well, shall we uh shall we dig into the uh the sode? Yeah, so I I pose this idea to you, not quite sure how how you'd respond to it, but just it's been on my mind because I just uh, submitted an article for reverb.com about this the subject and I don't want to just like say everything that's going to be in the article, but um it it was really interesting to me and there was more in the world of of the songs um that I chose. So the article's going to be about studio mistakes that turned out to be like for the best or made the song better or became kind of iconic parts of the song for some reason or another. Uh, and that was just such a fun, fun little piece to research. Um, it's a different kind of research than I'd done for some of their previous articles. And it felt like it just, it just, yeah, it was just really fun to uh, look up these stories about um, things that happened in the studio or just, studio mistakes that were really cool discoveries 
And like, I thought I would just talk about a couple of those stories with you, some that made the article and some didn't. And maybe we can talk a little bit about um, the importance that that leads to experimenting in the studio and sort of how, how it can really be beneficial for musicians to get out of that mindset that the take has to be perfect and that any mistake is going to be detrimental because sometimes mistakes are additive. For sure. So two things that I'd like to point out right in this moment is one, I agree with what you're saying right now, which is why I was giving you a hard time about recording new music just like three minutes ago. So just wanted to point that out. Be, be that but. Uh, and two, I actually really like the idea of this topic because it kind of challenges this idea of like um, a, a famous studio story that I grew up and kind of just holding on to is like, wow, that's like, if I ever go into the studio to record an album, I want to do it like they did. And that's mm -hmm. the story of how Nirvana recorded their first album, Bleach, for like 600 bucks, went to the studio, recorded all takes in one day, and then back out. They had rehearsed everything, they knew every part, and they just went in, they did it, and they bounced. And so yeah, the idea of the hanging I out know. of the studio and, and uh, trying to experiment and dig into that and just see what happens just i'm not opposed to it whatsoever but it's it just definitely strikes in contrast to that story of the seattle grunge scene that really stuck in my mind as a kid it it's it contrasts that i'm sure there's a ton of mistakes on that record um not terribly i don't know it's a great record it's pretty well done yeah. honestly I think mm -hmm. it's, in my opinion, I think it's the best record that Nirvana did. It's my favorite wow. record, at least. Wow. But okay. <laughs> I know, I know that that might be a bold statement, but it is my personal favorite. I, there's just something visceral about the way that it comes across in a way that the other albums don't. Um, uh -huh. And, I don't know, I mean, we could we could talk about how Kirk Cobain didn't like how polished things started to get as the band progressed through the, uh, through that world. But anyways, yeah. So and that's that a, happens. that's a pretty, that's the, it feels like a really strong contrast and concept for what the purpose of a studio is. So I'm really curious to hear what you've got here. Yeah. It's just that there are a lot of studio mistakes that ended up becoming so iconic, um, that people later tried to, and, did in fact replicate them there's three really famous examples of this happening and um and they are the things that kind of inspired me to write this article and, and find other things um hit me but, with it so uh the one i think you'd be most interested in uh is the invention of gated reverb being a studio accident did you know that I did not know there was a studio accident, but yeah. I, I do really like that effect. Yeah, it was like, I think you could call it an accidental discovery, um, more so than an accident, like some of the other uh, things on that list. But basically, uh, it was for Peter Gabriel's third solo album. Phil Collins was laying down the drums, and there was the, the talkback mic um, in, the, in the overhead mic uh, in the actual studio room. And uh, it was very compressed and it was being fed into a gate. And uh, they heard the drums over the, the, this talkback mic, basically. And 
it was it was this it was literally exactly the sound of gated reverb and they liked it a lot so they put it on the record and phil collins most famously used it and the drum solo for in the air tonight and it all it pretty much became the sound yeah it became the sound of the 80s prince was putting his lynn drum machine through gated reverb and you still hear it in music today lord uses it um that was the example i used in the article um and then like reverb multi-reverbs coming with a gated sound uh like the doctor scientist atmosphere has a gated reverb setting uh and so it's, it's a sound that never really went away another thing that never really went away that was discovered in sun studios during the recording of the uh, song rocket 88 uh so the band showed up and one of their speakers and one of their amps had gotten busted so they try to fix it with some newspaper because, you know, it's a paper speaker. Why the hell not? And they get the sound that we now would call distortion and that we as guitarists spend a lot of money trying to get the sound that is literally the sound of something broken. And they just loved it and they kept it instead of like being like, oh, shoot, we need to go get we need to actually get, get a new a new cab or new speaker and new amp. Is that how distortion was like created? Yeah. I feel like I've heard like eight different stories on how, like how distortion was created and popularized. Well, that's how sun studios tells it. All right. All right. I'll I'll believe you for, for now. I feel like that's gotta be like a hotly contested, like how was distortion? No, I created it. No, I created it. I mean, the literal Wikipedia article says, in the mid-50s, guitar distortion sounds started to evolve based on sounds created earlier in the decade by accidental damage to amps, such as in the popular early recording of the 1951 Ike Turner and the Kings of Rhythm song, Rocket 88. And you could very well be correct. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Um, the next, but... <laughs> And if we want to like jump forward uh, about nine years from that, um, do you know who Marty Robbins is? Or was, I guess. Uh, that That's, it's, it's ringing a bell, but I'm coming a blank. Do you, did you watch Breaking Bad? Yes, I did. Uh, you know, the song, uh, El Paso that's used in that. Yeah. The last season. That's Marty Robbins. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he was a country crooner, a real cowboy kind of guy. And he was recording um, a song, I think, called Don't Worry About Me. And uh, his gu guitarist slash bass was playing a six-string bass. And he was plugged into a console, a, a port in the console. They didn't realize that channel was busted. So he goes in to do this bass solo. And it's just this fuzzy kind of broken sound and the guitarist hated it marty didn't give it hoot but the producer was like that's a cool sound for the solo and uh subsequently left it in the song left it in the recording and that people went so crazy over this song the sound that it is the first fuzz and popular song and one of the first fuzz pedals is that sound reverse engineered? It was released by by Gibson. Do you know what do you know what Fuzz I'm talking about? I'm also coming up on a blank. 
You don't know what fuzz pedal that was? Oh, I, I'm trying to think, because Gibson did the fuzz, but it was, wasn't under the Gibson name, right? I mean, it was the Ma- the Maestro uh, FC1 fuzz tone. Yeah, I'm thinking my Maestro. Okay, there we go. Maestro? Yeah, that looks like how that would be pronounced. Um, yeah, it so doesn't it say was, Gibson on it. Yeah, well, they reissued it in the 90s, really? Huh, I didn't know that. Um, but it was uh, used in Satisfaction by Keith Richards, so... Well, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a really popular uh, and still is a very classic fuzz. Yeah, but, um, yeah, it was a faulty preamp that, that caused that uh, early fuzz sound. So those are three studio mistakes that didn't just affect the songs that they were in for the better, but completely inspired musicians for for decades. I mean, distortion, like 70 years later, is such an art that people are paying 750 bucks for the Chase Bliss uh, Automaton preamp Mark II, which has fuzz. They can't make them fast enough to before they they roll off the shelves. Literally can't make them fast enough right now. Yeah, seriously. Uh, and then, you know, every guitarist, I think most guitarists, their first pedal is either a distortion pedal or a wah. Sure. At least when I was, least when I was growing up. I had a, so. a Digitech Grunge. Mm-hmm. This is one uh, and an SD, uh, Boss SD1, my first two pedals. Gosh. I, uh, you don't still have that grunge, do you? Because I feel like sometimes people spend stupid money on those. Some people do, but it's typically um, some of the older versions. Yeah. Um, oh, you had a newer version. Yeah, I think it was like my my dad bought it new from musician's friend in like two thousand five, um, and it was it was my brother's for for the longest time until he gave up on guitar and he just gave me all of his stuff. <laughs> nice. But, yeah. Their loss, your gain. Yep. Love when that happens. I think I sold it for twenty dollars. <laughs> Oh, on craigslist when i was in college you must have really needed that 20 bucks i was so broke in college it wasn't even funny yeah no i think uh, a lot of people can relate no okay so an example of how broke i was in college is i had to so i had this school assignment where i had to go to the mall and like you know people watch and it was one of those like we're gonna talk about like the social engineering of malls or whatever it was. I, I forget what class it was for. And mm-hmm. I remember going like, I'm really hungry. I think I've got a dollar on my debit card. I might be able to get a hot dog from Wiener Schnitzel. I'm like, well, I'm trying to think here. I've, I know I've got close to a dollar on one and about a dollar on the other. I wonder if they could do a split payment <laughs> for like oh. a dollar fifty for a hot dog and tried to get it sorted out. The dude just looked at me and he's like, hang on a second. And he looked over, like, did the whole, like, look around, like, is my manager here? And he's like, all right. And he punched in a couple numbers, and then the receipt came out as zero, zero, and he just said, Aww. don't don't, don't, don't tell me when I said I, I gave this to you. Aww. And I'm just sitting here going, like, I just got a free hot dog because I'm so broke. <laughs> yeah. Now that's a... It was, like, Oof-da. on a Tuesday, and I didn't get paid till Friday kind of thing. Oof, duh. Yeah. Man. But I survived. I made it. I'm here. Yeah, you're here. You're here. Nice. Anyways, slight tangent. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot of fun um, studio or recording mistakes, and some of them some of them turn out to be like huge or the most memorable part of a song. Like 
that fuzz solo and don't worry is maybe the thing that people most remember that song for i mean it was a big hit it was a big crossover hit at the time um but historically speaking that's what made it like important uh same with rocket 88 that's kind of what made made those things important um and the gated sound that just it, a whole decade of music is basically like if something if you want something to sound eighties, the first thing you need to do is put gated reverb on a drum on a drum. But gated there are other and flange, lots of yeah, flange, lots of flange. Um, but there are other studio mistakes that are memorable that don't even involve like music gear going awry. Sometimes it's just uh like in the the master of puppets when Kirk Hammett he was playing the, the the last solo and he goes to bend a note and his finger falls off the uh pulls the string off the fretboard the high e off the fretboard and he creates uh-huh. his high pitched whine that he's been trying his the rest of his career to recreate that sound to varying levels of success but that was an a- that was an accident it's the dopest part of that solo I can believe that uh, some of his best work was an accident. Yeah. <laughs> another, another really cool, <laughs> another really cool, memorable. There's so many. Still better like, than the snare in Sin Anger. Oof. Duh. Yeah. Which I hear is running for president. I think it was like a Hard Times article or something. Oh, well, you know, I, it's got my vote. Right. Um, but uh, there, there are so many instances of like uh telephones ringing doors slamming people laughing in the back um you can hear the drummer yelling the f word and the kingsman's hit louis louis uh classic <laughs> so for some reason the fbi is the fbi investigated the lyrics in that song for 31 months and they found that it was unintelligible they couldn't figure out what the guy was saying so they're like maybe it's not profane but they didn't catch the drummer dropping an f bomb. <laughs> you know what that sounds like to me is like a government official being like, "All right, we need funding. We need a really good excuse to get like things are kind of slow right now. We need just need something so we can get our funding approved, so we all have paychecks and don't get furloughed." Why don't no. we just everyone no. like that's no, what dude. It, no, that's like this is the '60s. They were busy like trying to do terrible things to martin luther king jr <laughs> like they were they were the fbi was busy i mean yeah i mean they were sure, busy and but... they were still putting like their friggin' energy into this you know i don't know that that's the sort of project and i, mean, I grant that it was a different time but i'm just looking at this as someone who's worked for the government going i feel like that's something someone like a bs excuse to like put down a project on paper for like an annual review or something. Oh yeah, like I totally like we did this and you know we saved America, you know? Ah, that it, was a, that was always a big embarrassment to the FBI to be honest. If it looks good on paper, people are going to do it. But it doesn't mean it's necessarily <laughs> legitimate in any way. Well, I mean it but, wasn't legitimate, but the FBI did used to be a very like even until recently like you couldn't cuss on TV at all and you couldn't cuss in radio songs. And there's always been a lot of stuff with, um, prudes. With, with profanity. Ah, uh, you can call them prudes, but I mean, I do think that parents have the right to know what their kids are listening to. Oh, I agree to that. Absolutely. Yeah. But nonetheless, but, prudes, absolute prudes. Uh, okay. 
right. um, um, I think it, it is admittedly difficult to uh, to govern that um, in a way that's family friendly for all while still allowing for that kind of content to be available for those who are of age and wish to indulge in it. Yeah, I just think, you know, it's, I, I, I don't like, um, uh, oh God, why am I blinking on the word? Censorship? Yeah, I, I dislike censorship a lot. Um, sure. I think that parents should be able to censor a little, at least a little bit with their children are consuming. Um, but that's, that, that's very different than, you know, standard censorship, you know? I mean, because, you know, sometimes art's not created for kids and uh, you should probably make sure, like, it's, I think it's your job as a parent to try to make sure that your kids are not consuming that, at least, you know, whatever. That's a tangent. But um, one, I, I, I want to I, I talk about one more other kind of, like, studio mistake that I don't think is very common anymore. Right. And um, it's the idea, and this kind of came from... Uh, this was more common in a lot of like old soul music, old R&B, because a lot of these singers grew up in the church. And if you forget the words in the church, what do you do? You ad lib. So I think the, the Hallelujah. Most, yeah, the most famous example of, of this. Um, I Well, my favorite example of this, I should say, is uh, Bill Withers in the song Ain't No Sunshine. Do you know that song? I do. I do. Do you know the, the words to the second verse? No, I, I just, just know the the chorus. He literally just goes, "I know, I 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 know." Yeah, it's because he forgot the words, <laughs> and he he just did that, and it's so effective because he kind of he leaned into it so hard. You can hear his voice kind of breaking, and it feels very emotional, and and it's just it feels very real. And you don't miss the lyrics, the actual lyrics at all. And he just jumps back in very seamlessly when he gets to a place that, you know, makes sense to connect what he remembers with the I knows. And that song was, you know, one of his biggest hits. This is a man that had a lot of hits for sure. But it's a, it's from an accident. And it's like they just kept rolling. He didn't get flustered. He didn't say, like, stop the tape, I forgot. And I think that's just such a, a key part in, in the recording process, especially when you have the budget, especially when you have the time, especially if you're already doing multiple takes, like, to just sometimes, sometimes when there's a mistake, you want to just stop. And I implore you as musicians who are probably, a lot of you are probably getting into home recording for the first time. Don't get this mindset that every single take has to be has to be perfect. If you have a, a a doll like Studio One or Logic or anything where you can do like a ton of tracks and maybe comp them together, I really implore you to to do that to to to, to make mistakes and keep keep the mistakes um, at least for a while because sometimes the mistakes serve the purpose of the song and sometimes sure, sure. like they just are. They're more like happy accidents. Some of my favorite moments in songs that I've recorded are like, I meant to go to this chord uh, two beats later, but I went early. And sometimes little mistakes like that, they just they just turn out so, so beautifully. They're, I can't think of any specific examples, but 
on my EP self-objectification with no remorse, there are, there's a part in that where for some reason the audio from my guitar like completely drops for a moment and comes back in. It's my favorite part of that song by far. It just sounds so real and raw and um, I think fits the mood really well. So sometimes these things are just going to happen and you know, getting mad isn't really going or getting upset that you made a mistake or something didn't go right. Like that's, that's not going to help anything. Like you can't always control that you're going to hit a bum note or that your voice is going to crack in a weird place or that the equipment's not going to fail in some weird kind of way. You can control how you react to that. And if you just can roll with it, I think you're going to have a lot more fun. You're going to have a lot more fun recording. For sure. For sure. For sure. I mean, Look, not not all accidents are necessarily bad. Take me for example. Uh, wow! <laughs> wow! Um, Went there. <laughs> so, no, but absolutely, I I one hundred percent agree with that I think that's just, I think that's just a better way to live in general. Um, even outside of the studio, is kind of just roll with it and accept what's within your control. And you know, when life gives you lemons. You make a killer record, you know what I'm saying? Yes, that's how that that's how that goes. Yeah, you yeah, make that, you can just like have how fun. I've heard it. I think Kurt Cobain said that once. Yes, obviously Kurt Cobain said that. That sounds exactly like something Kurt Cobain would say. <laughs> <laughs> the guy, the guy who literally scrapped an entire record after he heard someone else's record. Sure, sure. Um. No. <laughs> didn't he didn't didn't they record all of in utero twice that happens too and sometimes it's for the best we had sure. charlie bliss on the show back in january and their debut record was called guppy and they they completely re-recorded guppy like new songs a lot of them because they had thought that the thing was like you you once you write 10 songs it's time to record them and then they realized well maybe you should write 20 songs pick the best 10 and record the and record no maybe pick the best 15 record the 15 songs and then you have like these sort of leftover tracks you pick the best ones of the 15 and then the other five can be used as like an ep down the road or limited release um something to make a radio station feel special or make as a b-side an unreleased b-side i'll make somebody want to buy the a-side that they already have and and things like that i mean that, that that's more strategy but um if you go into the studio with 10 songs and you're like these are the only 10 songs i want to record these are the only 10 songs i have and they have to be perfect oh that's that that's sometimes that works and sometimes it's a recipe for extreme disappointment Oh, for sure. I mean, yeah. I think if you go in and say, if it's not perfect, it's trash. I, you know, in in a science lab, sure. that That's understandable. Yeah. This is this is not that kind of a world, though. And I, if you have your expectations set that way, I, I just don't see how you're ever going to find yourself satisfied. And I think you're going to constantly find yourself disappointed. And mm -hmm. I think, more importantly, you're going to find yourself missing out on the best parts of what it's like to be a musician. So yeah, that's my, the, the, my, my pithy that, quote, philosophy, philosophy. <laughs> I mean, going off the cuff and just kind of um, improvising, I guess is maybe a, 
it's one way to say that, but sometimes you have to improvise, but like playing live, like there's going to be mistakes in, in your live performances. And, um, and if you just really aim for that perfection too much, uh, what you are eventually going to see as the result is stripping away, uh, the feeling of being in, of having a group of people interacting with each other. Cause in the studio, sometimes people still like lay down live band stuff. Uh, I think it's more common for like every, like everything to be isolated when it's recorded the last time. I think sometimes you'll have like the drum and bass get a quick recording so that the guitarist and the singer have something that they're used to recording underneath and then doing the guitar, doing the drums and the bass isolated afterwards for like the final, the final product. Right. Right. But if you, you can still like have a lot of that feeling um, if you aren't like over rehearsing, if you're not recording it 500 times and like comping together the best takes, like, I don't know. I just really appreciate a live performance, even if it had, or something that feels live, something that feels emotional, even if it's not like, uh, perfect. Sure. Sure. So I started off by talking about kind of how I've always really loved the idea of what Nirvana did with their first record. And I still stand by my statement that it's my favorite record. I think in my opinion that it's their best record. And I, I, I do love the way that it turned out and how visceral it is. But talking through this a little bit more is kind of led me to, uh, to unromanticize that a little bit and, and to come to the conclusion that maybe that's not, that might not necessarily be the best way to do it. And that's, certainly not necessarily a fair expectation to have of yourself to just jump into the studio, do it and bounce and have one of the best records mm -hmm. of the decade. So one of the things you like about that record is that it's raw, right? Oh, it's absolutely, it's super raw and it's, it, it's just got this visceral nature that just connects on some sort of a deep level for me. Yeah. Well, that's not perfection. That's, you know, real. That's realness. Sure. I, I promise you there's there's stuff on that record that's not perfect. Well, yeah, or wasn't I mean, or wasn't intended and now like sync sync a metronome at the beginning of each song and just listen for how far off they get. <laughs> every single song in that record. Uh and I, I think yeah. that it, that works really really well for that sound. I, I don't think that's yeah. remotely a bad thing. Um, yeah. No, I don't I think that you don't really need a click track as much if you're doing like the live the live band thing. Uh, so that being, that being that being said, I've had to do some uh, remote recording now and then. And once I got something, I'm like, "So what's the click track set to?" And she's like, "I don't have a click track." I'm like, "Oh, jeez," because it was such it was, everything I had was so sparse. I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to time this. Like, this is going to be extremely hard to do some of the timing because it was like uh, on like upbeats and stuff. And I'm like, I. Gosh, really wish you had recorded this to a click track. <laughs> oh my god! Sure, sure, sure. So, anyways, that's just my takeaway in terms of uh, what I w came into the episode kind of holding up as an ideal. Um, yeah, I think it's a, a really good conversation. Certainly, a lot of a lot of things worth considering. So, mm -hmm. thank you for sharing. Yeah. Thanks for yeah, doing the research. Those, thanks, and those were just a few of the examples in my article. In fact, some of those did not even make it into the article. Um, so check out the whole article when it comes out on Reverb. 
Uh.com either this month or next. I'll I'll post links and I'll give it another shout out. Uh, speaking of shout outs, though, I want to shout out our patron Joe Braga. So I had a situation what, what? where this video editing program I've been using for the past year called Pinnacle. Um, it's just I I got an upgraded version. It was trash. It wasn't working, and I very quickly had to turn around some other videos. So she helped me with uh, Adobe Premiere and walked like did a video. We did a screen share. I kind of walked her through like here are the parts of my my videos, my demos, and here's how I've like here's my process in Pinnacle. How can I translate these processes to Premiere? Uh, so thank you so much, Joe. That was so damn helpful. About as helpful as uh, anyone could have been. Um, so big ups. Woohoo. Also shout out uh, if you want to join our Patreon program and be half as cool as Joe. Um, Patreon.com slash get offset. Actually, let me log in and we have some people. We have some new patrons, including some uh, dollar dollar bill patrons. Dollar dollar bills, y'all. Yes. Let's see. Let's see. And shout out on the show, Gear Ingdahl, $1 a month. Thank you so much, Gear. Love it, love Paul, it. Paul Heimberg, $5 a month. Thanks, Paul. What? Damian Martinez, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Patrick Pine, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Pontius Helm, thank you, thank you. David Mulvaney, thank you. And Andrea Andre, I'm sorry, geez. Andrea K, thank you. You are at the $10 level. And please respond to my message so I can get you some swag. Because you you get swag at the $10 level. Swag is always a good choice. I'm a fan. Yes, I am too. Oh, uh, we also have some thank you cards due. Uh, but we don't have addresses for for uh Andrea, so we need that's another reason we need that. We want to thank all of you for supporting the show. You help us uh, be able to do this, and that support yes. it, I can't begin to express how much that means to us and how important that is to to keep us alive. I'm especially in in the world these days. I think something that really struck me this week is I got um, I'm an amplifier for KEXP, and I got an email that from them this week. Uh, from their CEO saying that they have to let go like 20% of the studio staff. I thought it was eight people. Oh, I, I, I don't, I was half awake when I read it and just went, wow. It, I mean, that, it that was, hurts. it was, it was, it was painful, but it wasn't, um, it wasn't as many people as you just said. Um, it, It's painful and it's part of just the world that we live in. And my, my point in sharing that is uh, that your support, especially with everything going on right now is, that much more meaningful and mm -hmm. we really appreciate that yeah i just want to confirm it was eight people and seven percent of their full-time equivalent staff so 20 was a bit of a jump my apologies yeah Jumped so it's mostly there. guest services business support executive leadership engagement and software teams very sad and upsetting yeah. but at least they get to yep. keep their health benefits through the end of the year yeah they did offer a proper severance package uh, which is important oh. i think always and hard hard to do often so often hard to offer that kind of thing in this uh, climate. So Anyways, I'm not you... trying to be a Debbie Downer. I'm, I'm just 
really trying to, to drive home the point that uh, your support means the world. And we yeah, really appreciate and it, that. And if you don't like the ongoing, the Patreon thing, we have merch at getoffsetpodcast.com slash shop. Um, we also have, uh, no, that's, that's probably about it. Um, but you can join our Facebook group. It's the Get Offset Podcast Facebook group. Um, you can also rate review this podcast on iTunes, which is, which we really, really, really appreciate. Um, if you haven't done that already, it helps us, uh, increase our reach quite a bit. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel, which I personally appreciate a lot, a lot, a lot. For sure, for sure, for sure. Yes. So, uh, that's, that's everything I've got. Do you have anything else, uh, Andrew? Uh, the one last thing I would like to leave off on is y'all are rad. And that's, they uh, are. that's all I got. That's why we've been able to do this for 99 episodes. <gasps> 99. That means next week Lush is balloons. special. 99. Fish, lush, balloons. I like the uh, mashup of 99 left balloons and 99 problems. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's maybe my favorite mashup wait i have no oh, it's real yet. it's real oh listen to it after we record i'm in love with the concept already okay 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 I, I, let's wrap up this episode i need to go listen to that right now all right uh thanks for listening thanks for understanding until next time my name is emily and my name is andrew goodbye Bye. Bye. Bye.